Well, what a great song to lead into what we're going to look at in Mark chapter 5. He is, he is whatever we need. That's different for every one of us. Mark chapter 5 has always been a favorite chapter of mine. We, um, we actually looked at it in our life group last week, so it was good preparation for this week. But I want you to think of, let's say you are in an accident, okay? It's a pretty bad accident, car accident, and you've been hurt. Others around you have been hurt. And you hear a siren. Maybe the police, you're hoping it's police, but you're hoping more probably for a paramedic because a paramedic is going to come, see your need, address the need, and hopefully make you better. And without that paramedic being there, you would not be able to continue. You might die. God pursues us. God pursues you. He pursues me. He pursues us as a community to look to him. I forgot to introduce myself. I'm Ken Wolf, by the way. Sorry about that. <laughs> Turn to Mark 5, if you would. I, I just, I love this passage because we have three Sets of people, three people here. We've got, um, we're going to look at each verse. We're going to kind of walk through this passage. This will be a little different. I'm not going to read the passage and preach on it. I'm going to read a section and then talk about it and kind of go back and forth. But you've got this guy who's possessed by demons. You've got a woman that has been bleeding for 12 years, apparently single. Plus, you've got a synagogue ruler who has a daughter who's dying. All three eventually end up at the feet of Jesus. That's the commonality. But I want want you to see the big idea here is that Mark gives us these three scenes, these three interactions, because... You've got the guy who's demon-possessed. You've got the woman with the issue of blood. You've got Jairus. And between the extremes of this set of people, we all fit. All three of these people end up at the feet of Jesus. That's where we need to be, at the feet of Jesus. There's a disclaimer here. I'm not... I'm not going to say that you come to Jesus and you'll be healed physically because we all know that's not necessarily God's will. What I find curious, even in the New Testament, you think of the 12 disciples, none of them were healed of anything. They just followed Jesus. But yet you had a lot of people that Jesus preached to, comforted, helped, healed But the disciples, they just chose to follow him. So it goes both ways. Coming to Jesus heals us spiritually, but it doesn't necessarily heal us physically. 
But we've got three examples here in Mark chapter 5 of people who were desperate. (laughs) Anybody desperate? (laughs) Anybody at the end of their rope, at the end of their resources? That's what we have here. We have people who are willing because of their desperation to give up on their self-reliance, give up on their rebellion, give up on their unwillingness to come to God and accept grace. You know, it's hard to accept things. Um, I used to have a snowblower, but I sold it. I thought, you know, I can, I can shovel this stuff. Well, this morning... This morning, actually a couple days ago, my neighbor saw the forecast and said, hey, Ken, I'll come over and get your, we're going to get a bunch of snow, so I'll come over and shovel your, he's got a snow, he's got a headlight on his snowblower, it's so cool. And and I won't mention any names here, Jeff. But he he came over this morning, texted me early, he said, hey, I'll be over in a few minutes, and sure enough, he came over and he was done we got a small driveway, but you do it with a snowblower, it goes really fast. I was grateful for that. It's hard for me to accept help. It's hard for me to say, okay, I'll let somebody else do it. Jesus wants us to be desperate before him. Not about plowing snow, but about things in our lives that cause us to take our eyes off the author and perfecter of our faith. I, I, that last song just, he is. He is fill in the blank. What do you need? You need reliance on him. That's the bottom line. And you could, we could really sum up, I think, the Bible with the idea that God is in pursuit. Not just coming alongside and say, hey, consider me. No, he's saying, I made all this. I made you. He looks at each one of us and says, I want you. I'm pursuing you. That goes for unbelievers, goes for believers. God pursues people. Once we become a believer, he doesn't stop pursuing us. Don't don't get the idea that we've arrived and there's no next step. That's a beginning. God says, I want you. He pursues you. He loves you. Okay, let's frame frame this, Mark chapter 5. We have to back up a little bit. I'm going to read some verses from Mark 4.35. It had been a long day. This is my commentary. It had been a long day in Jesus' life. At the end of the day, he says, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Now, the, the disciples are like, okay, you know, Jesus wants to do this. Must be a good idea. So they go. There's a storm. And these guys, many of them fishermen, <laughs> they're scared. The waves are breaking over the boat. They're swamping the boat. And Jesus is asleep. Jesus is asleep. So they wake him up. 
Hey, we're going to perish. Desperation. Hey, we're going to perish. Hey, we got problems. This is immediate. So they wake Jesus up. I'm not saying we got to wake Jesus up. <laughs> he knows what's going on. He knows our hearts. He knows our lives. So Jesus gets up, rebukes the wind, says to the waves, quiet, be still. Like glass. And the disciples are even more afraid now. Who is this guy? Who is this? We've seen him heal. We've seen him forgive sins. And now our work environment, the thing we know the best, he's got control over this. So they cross over. And 5.1 says, they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. And look at 5.21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake. This is the parentheses. Jesus takes his disciples, crosses in the midst of a storm, calms the storm, goes and addresses the needs of this demon-possessed man, and then heads back over across the lake. He crossed that lake for one man. He crossed that lake for you, for me. This guy could not come to Jesus, or he didn't. Jesus said, okay, I'll go to him. He put his disciples at risk. I don't know if that's the right, I don't know if I even dare say that. They, they thought they were at risk. They really weren't because God was taking care of them. Jesus was there. When you're with Jesus, don't worry. <laughs> so he, he allows his disciples to have some angst, some consternation, some, whoa, what do we got ourselves in for? But then he crosses over and he crosses over for this one guy. One guy. And we might look at this and say, yeah, Jesus, I'm not sure that was worth it. Well, <laughs> all I need to do is look in the mirror. He did that for me. He crossed over heaven to earth, came down, earned my salvation, then went back to heaven. I, I know that's kind of spiritualizing the passage, but I think it's a good application. We can embrace what happened to this man because he was desperate. So desperate that apparently he couldn't even go to Jesus. So Jesus went to him. Mark 5, 2. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. <laughs> this is a scary guy. As we read through the rest of this passage, I want you to keep in mind, I'm not sure the disciples ever got out of the boat. <laughs> and if I were one of them, I think I'd stay in the boat too. 
this is a scary guy. And I think Peter was probably the one who was sitting at Mark's right hand when Mark wrote this. And he relates how the man came and greeted him. And Peter says, wait a minute, you, you, you need to tell people about a little more about this guy. This guy lived in the tombs. He'd been bound hand and foot, but he just tore the chains apart. No one could subdue him. Night and day, he went around yelling, cutting himself with stones. I don't want to be anywhere near this guy. Jesus seeks him out. Just like he seeks you and me. He pursues us. I, I want you to notice something. And we're going to jump ahead a few verses here. We'll, we'll, we'll come back. But I want you to notice how this man is referred to. Look at verse 2. He's described as a man with an evil spirit. Look at verse 15. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. Look at verse 18. The man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. And verse 20, so the man went away. I love that. He starts out, evil spirit, legion of demons, demon-possessed. Then he's transformed into just a man. Not using evil or demon-possessed to describe him. He's been pursued by Jesus and made right. God pursues us. God wants us to bow before him at his feet, no matter what the problem. You know, Jesus doesn't go into, you know, son, you really shouldn't have made that decision back then, or you really shouldn't have done this or that, or didn't you realize you were going down the wrong road? There's none of that. Jesus doesn't blame the guy. I think he he does some heart surgery here, but it's personal. The guy understands he hasn't been faithful to God. He's been rebellious. He's been selfish. He's been a lot of bad things. Jesus still comes for him. You and me. Let's take a look at verses 6 through 9. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. But Jesus was saying to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. (laughs) This guy is in sorry shape. You don't really know who's talking when he talks. Is it the demon? Is it the guy? Who's bowing? Is it the guy himself? Or is it the demon? Does it matter? Jesus has... This man's attention. Jesus has the attention of the demons. Jesus has the attention of our problems. He knows them. 
we come and bow before him, understanding that he's in control, understanding that he has our best interests, like a paramedic coming to the scene of an accident. They don't get distracted. They laser focus on what the problem is and address it. That's what Jesus does. I mean, it's weak to say he's just a paramedic. It goes way beyond that, but you get the idea. He's showing up because we are in need. He's showing up because we are desperate. He's showing up because we have nowhere else to turn. Could this man have gone to Jesus? I think Mark wants to point out that if we don't go to Jesus, he still pursues us. He still comes to us. We think, uh, we think in America, you know, we've got every opportunity to hear the gospel, to hear the word, radio stations, internet, all that. In some countries around the world, those opportunities don't exist. There's a Christian, before he became a Christian, his name was Omar, even before he was a Christian. But anyway, before he was a Christian, Omar was a Muslim. And he was not a happy guy. He just didn't, life wasn't complete. There was an emptiness to it. And so he talked to one of his buddies and they said, look, if you just make the trip to Mecca, everything will be okay. It'll solve your problems. So Omar thought, okay, I'll do that. So he made the trip, did all the things he was supposed to, and still felt empty. He was on his way home. He went to the bus station. And normally in Mecca, there's a lot of people at the bus station. But on this particular time, there was only one bus, one bus. And as he stepped onto it, he realized there's nobody else on the bus. And the bus driver said to him, well, you know, you're glad you're here. Um, I understand you have a problem. (laughs) And Omar just looked at him and said, I don't know you. How do you know that? And the the bus driver said, look, you you see that place over there? You, You go sit over there and you talk to Isa or Jesus. And Omar looked at him. It's like, what? Who is this? What? What is going on? And the bus driver said, look, you've tried everything else. Go talk to Isa. So Omar thought, okay, try it. So he went over, sat down where the the guy had directed him to. And he said for two hours, he, he wasn't aware of time. He only knew afterwards when he looked at his watch how long it had been. But he talked to Isa. And he began to understand that that emptiness was because Isa was not part of his life. It was a vague kind of a thing. He really didn't know the details. So he thought, I am going to go home and find out what's going on here. So he went back to the bus station, and the bus was gone. The bus driver was gone. Couldn't find him. No buses whatsoever. So he took a taxi home. He started asking around, and he finally found somebody who had said, hey, somebody gave me a... a DVD with a movie on it called Isa. I haven't watched it, but you know what? Come on over tomorrow night. We'll have dinner together and then we'll watch it. Omar said, oh, sounds good. 
So he went over, had dinner, started watching the film. It got to the point where John the Baptist was baptizing Jesus. Jesus was the first time he'd appeared in the movie. And the bus driver looked, or the Omar looked at it and said, that's the bus driver. He's the one who told me to go talk to Isa. So he watched the rest of the film, came to know Jesus. God pursues us. Sometimes in spite of ourselves. <laughs> Most of the, all the time in spite of ourselves. God pursues us. This, this demon-possessed man, he's a man by the end of what he's talked about here in this section. And what does he want to do? He wants to be with Jesus. Jesus says, no, you go back home. You tell the people about God's grace. You tell your family about God, how God has had mercy on you. That's how he goes. He becomes a missionary. It's interesting. It says he went and told what Jesus had done for him. He knew Jesus was God. (laughs) He gets healed. He becomes a missionary. God ministers to us. I, I have the temptation to just sit back and cool, you know. I can, I can take this in. But God blesses us so that we can pass it on. God blesses us so that we can speak into the lives of other people how he's worked in ours. God pursues us. God pursues us as a body, as a community, so that we can represent him, be his hands and feet. Okay, we've got to move along here. We're halfway through this passage. (laughs) All right, let's go to, where are we? Verse 21, Mark 5, 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, A large crowd gathered around him. While he was by the lake, one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. It's so simple. Come to Jesus Ask for help, and he'll help you. He's at his feet. This is Jairus. This is a synagogue ruler. The Pharisees and Sadducees were already against Jesus. That's already been established earlier in Mark. They've even decided at one point they want to kill him. But here's a guy, a synagogue ruler, aware of how the rulers were looking at Jesus and said, you know what? My child is at the point of death. If you have children, you certainly have loved ones. When they are suddenly struck with an illness, that's sobering. That causes you to look under the veneer, to understand that there are a lot of things that I think that are important that are not when it comes to life and death. And Jairus says, forget 
all of the charades. I'm going to Jesus. I'm going to the feet of Jesus. I am not unwilling to plead earnestly. I'm not going to go and slip him a note. I'm not going to go and try to be in the background. I'm going to make it public. I don't care. I am desperate. I want Jesus to heal my daughter. So Jesus went with him. (laughs) I just love that. He asked, pleaded earnestly. So Jesus went with him. But then Jesus gets interrupted. Picking up in the middle of verse 24 there. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped. And she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Well, we've got a couple people here that are right next to each other with Jairus and this woman. Think of the contrasts. Man, woman, named, don't know her name. Married, probably single. Coming on somebody else's behalf, coming on the behalf of his daughter. She was coming on her own behalf. She comes secretly. He comes openly. His words we have, we don't have any of her words recorded. We kind of have them summed up. I think Mark is going out of his way to say, these are two extremes. And all of us fit in there somewhere. They both end up at Jesus' feet. You've probably heard the statement that the, the ground at the foot of the cross is level. <laughs> there, there's, there's no good guys and bad guys. We're all bad guys. We're all rebellious. We're all wanting our own way. But in desperation, the cross is there. Jesus is there. At his feet, we are all equal. Rank doesn't matter. Nothing matters. Desperation is what drives us to him. And Jesus, you see Jesus turning anybody away? What is Jairus thinking when this woman comes up? It's like, dude, my daughter's dying. Time is of the essence. Come on. Jesus deals with who's in front of him. In fact, in one sense, Jairus got more than he asked for. (laughs) He got his daughter resurrected, not just healed. The woman, she she wanted to be hidden. She she heard about him. You, You can, I mean, she's unclean. She... I don't know if others, the crowd kind of splits as she comes up behind, but she's coming up behind Jesus. She reaches out and touches him and immediately she's healed. 
Jairus is standing there. He, he's got to say, okay, that's done. Move on. No, Jesus stops. Look at the next section. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. Verse 30. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered. And yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. How how necessary it is for us to not only come to the feet of Jesus, I, I don't think we can keep from being honest at that point. We're desperate. We come to his feet. We're healed. We are brought into union with him. We are saved. And Jesus wants to hear it from her. He wants her to tell all these people around him. Her faith has made her well. Her faith? Jesus said power had gone out from him. Oh, what a beautiful union. (laughs) His power, her faith, her healing... Her testimony, all to the glory of God. God pursued her. Maybe she thought she was sneaking up on him. Not a good idea to try to sneak up on Jesus. (laughs) Okay, so Jairus, he's watching all this. I don't know. Just take five minutes, half an hour. I don't know. Every minute counts, though. He knows his daughter is sick. He's desperate. Verse 35, while Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. (laughs) You know, that's an easy phrase to read but it's a tough one to put into into practice. Don't be afraid, just believe. Kind of sounds like what he told the disciples on the boat. Why are you so afraid? Where is your faith? Don't be afraid, just believe. It's a good thing that Ephesians 2 points out that even faith is a gift from God. Because in our fear, we don't naturally have faith. But God, I don't know what the right word is, implants it in us, gives it to us, stirs it up in us, so that we go to him. And it's in response to his pursuing us to come before him. So that we can truly know who he is, we can truly know he's all we need and we can really know 
that our heart, if we're not careful, draws us away from him. You ever thought of desperation as a gift? (laughs) I think it is. Jesus wants us to be desperate to the point that he is the only one who can answer, fulfill, and address our needs. He pursues us. We don't have a response from Jairus here, but verse 37 picks up. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with them and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand, by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. They were completely astonished. You know, it's okay to be surprised. (laughs) It's okay to trust God for something and then receive more than you ever could have imagined. It's okay to be surprised, amazed, overwhelmed with gratefulness and thankfulness. So here's Jairus. He's been told by these guys that come from the house, hey, your daughter's dead. You know, let Jesus go do something else. Jesus says, oh, no. He doesn't really address those guys. He addresses Jairus. He says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, Ken. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Trust. It's okay to be desperate, Ken. It's okay to be desperate, brothers and sisters. Jesus uses that to grow us. Jesus doesn't turn anybody away. He's willing to be interrupted. He's willing to address needs. In a sense, he adjusts on the fly and still accomplishes his purpose. There's no little people in God's kingdom. Nobody who's second class. Believers, we as a community are being pursued by God. We're pursued. God seeks to bring us closer to him. And he uses desperation to do that. I I like what one commentator said. He said, the only thing in the universe more final than death is the living word of God saying, arise. Arise. It was about 55 years ago, 
that I first realized God was pursuing me. I was a typical teenager, lost in, you know, my own pursuits, rebellious. My older brothers and sisters didn't really respect God, so I thought, well, that's probably a safe bet. I won't either. I thought, well, that's the adult way to take it. You know, my brothers and sisters must know what they're doing. But then I got to know another family in the neighborhood. And I saw in them an authenticity that I hadn't seen before. God was pursuing me. I grew up in the church, hadn't responded. I'd probably heard the gospel, didn't take. God didn't give up. He kept pursuing. That family showed me what it is to pursue God. And that's what, as believers, we're called to do. For the first time, I saw what was possible if I gave up on my own silly lifestyle, things I was thinking, the way I was approaching life. And instead of looking inside or around me, I looked up. That family showed me what it was to know Jesus. I've been married to one of those family members for almost 50 years now. Great family. Thank God for desperation because it drives you, it drives me to him. Lord, thank you for your demonstration of how you work, how you are consistent, how you are so pursuing each one of us. Thank you, Lord, that we can be yours, that you grow us, that you care about us, that you pursue us, cause us to respond with Not with doubt, but with belief, with trust. In Jesus' strong name we pray it. Amen.